This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning, New Life. Excited to spend some time with you guys today. I'm excited you chose to be here with us. I want to welcome you, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, and especially though if it's your first time, I want to welcome you to New Life. Uh, I know that coming into a church for the first time can be intimidating, a little bit nervous, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us, uh, to explore what it could look like to engage with God in this place, and I want you to know we created this space for you to be a safe place to come and connect with God. And, and as our way of saying thanks for, for risking it to come to be here with us today, and just to let you know, we love you and appreciate you. If you're a guest with us, when you leave, please stop by Guest Central. We've got a gift bag for you. We just want to say thanks for being with us today. And I promise we're all going to be on this journey together. One of the ways that we stay on this journey together is when you walked in, you received a program, and inside of it are some tools to help us get on the same page. So you're going to want to grab this right now. You're going to want to grab this card that says start here. Especially today, I'm going to ask us to experiment with something in a couple weeks, but we're going to start that journey today, and you're going to need to use this card for that. This is a connection card. It gives you access to us. It helps us partner with you and pray for you and engage with you in any way that you would see beneficial, but you're going to want to get this card filled out because we're going to be using it a little bit later. The other thing you're going to want are our teaching notes. They've got the Bible story we're looking at today, some fill-in-the-blanks, some next steps as you continue to engage on the topics we're looking at. And I wonder, as we dive into our brand new series, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Like, if I could just ask God, if I could just spend five minutes with God face-to-face and ask any question, what would it be? I'm guessing there are are varied questions. Some of us might say, God, why did you allow blank to happen? Maybe it's a global question. Maybe it's a very personal question. Um, Some of ours would be a little more lighthearted. Like one of my questions I'd like to ask God, if I could see God face to face, is Jesus, so Jesus was a historical figure. We Romans wrote about him. Jewish people wrote about him. Christians wrote about him. He lived. He died. He rose again. Hundreds of people saw him. And then when he rose again, he seemed to have a new body. God calls it this resurrected body that could do certain things. Like Jesus could, could materialize and like walk through walls. He could be like beamed up. It's crazy. Um, and, and so I, I've just wondered recently, we're told that in heaven, in eternity, we're going to have bodies like him. So I would like to ask God, God, could I fly in heaven? That's one of my questions for God. Not like on an airplane, like could I fly? Because that's one of my dreams. When I was a kid, I had dreams about flying like super, how Superman was he? Like this, you know, I just, that's, that's Peter Pan, isn't it? That's not good. <laughs> but it probably speaks to my personality. But I just want to know, like, could I fly? Or, or, or would I material, like, what, what kind of things can this body do that we're told we're going to have in eternity? Um, we're in this brand new series, and I would guess that whether you're here and you're a follower of Jesus— or you're not. I, I mean, have no belief in God, just coming to kind of question, or maybe a friend brought you, promised you lunch afterwards. I would guess we all have a few questions that we'd like to get answered about life. And these are, again, they're not specifically for Christians. These are universal questions. And in this series that we're going to be digging into, Jesus tells a story. He calls it a parable, which is a made-up story with a twist to prove a deep reality in life. And in the story that he tells, he's going to answer two of life's biggest questions. 
And what we do when we start off a series at New Life is we just started out by kind of laying the framework, surveying the land, figuring out where we're going to be going. And especially in this series, because we're going to spend five weeks looking at the same story in the Bible from four different angles. And we're going to dig into it and we're going to slow cook it. I like to say that we're going to crock pot it. Like we, we like, we don't microwave things at New Life. We crock pot things because when you walk in and you've been crock potting all day, the flavors kind of meld together and it's so good. It's so much better than microwaving. Like if you were a single guy, you know, you know, when you go get a crock pot meal, it's better than what you do at home with your can of chili and your hot dog. I know, I've been there. Like, so good. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into this story that Jesus tells. I mean, we're really going to explore it from some unique angles. And today what I want to do is lay out the lay of the land for us. Because Jesus answers two of life's biggest questions in this story that he tells. So let's set the stage. Jesus, in the place where we're going to find him, has been gaining influence. Uh, he's been uh, extremely popular. In fact, just before this story he tells, he sent out 72 people. And these 72 people went around telling people that this thing called the kingdom of heaven has come close to them. And we spent two months talking about the kingdom of heaven. But let me give you a snapshot of it. The kingdom of heaven is simply this, that God has come to you. That God was viewed as this distant deity who was over there But God has actually come to us, and God's made a way for us to have a relationship with him. And those of us who have a relationship with God, we have like a dual citizenship. We're kingdom, uh, we're, we're citizens of this world that we live in, in the United States. But we're also citizens of this kingdom of heaven, where God is the king, and God will ultimately make everything right, either in this world or in eternity. And we are children of the king, with all the rights and privileges of children. We can come to God anytime. So Jesus sent out 72 people, and they're they're telling this good news that God has come close. And he's getting widespread popularity. And the Jewish religious leaders were threatened by Jesus because they said the only way to get to God is through them. But Jesus is saying, no, you can actually get to God right now because God is not far away that you have to scream out and call to him. God is actually very, very close. So these huge crowds are gathering Some people who are questioning, they have questions, sincere questions about faith, and they just want to see what Jesus has to say. Some people who are devoutly faithful believers in God. And then we've got these religious leaders who are devout believers in God, but questioning Jesus. And one of the religious leaders gets this idea about how he can trap Jesus. And he asks this question. We're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 10. So you can either follow along up on the screens, or you can uh, pick it up in your Bible, or your phone, or your tablet, or however you like to pick it up. I had someone email me recently and say, uh, Pastor Kevin, do you guys use the Bible or do you like preach, you know, f- from a, from a, basically an iPad? And I, I, I wanted to respond and say, well, I, yes and yes, yes, I use the Bible and it's on my iPad. It is okay. It's okay. We're going to make it. So if you like, I will just do this like <laughs> so that you feel like I'm using a Bible up here. Cause I am. And we're in Luke chapter, I don't know why I tell you that, but this is my life. Welcome to my world. Luke 10, on one occasion, there's this expert of the law, and he stood up, and he was testing Jesus. Not legitimately asking a question, didn't want to do a Bible study, testing Jesus, wanting to trap him. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that phrase eternal life is this loaded phrase for an ancient Jewish person. When we think eternal life, we think life in eternity. What happens after I die? Because most of us, whether we're uh, Jesus followers or not, we would say, I have to believe that there's something beyond this 
40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And the closer we get to whatever that is, the more we start to ask questions. What is it that comes after this life? And that's part of the Jewish understanding of eternal life. The question is, what happens to me after I die? What happens to me in eternity? How can I guarantee that whatever happens when I blink for the last time and breathe for the last time is good on the other side? That's one of the things he's asking. But the other thing that a Jewish person would understand in this phrase eternal life is this big question, how do I live without needless regret today? So that phrase has two components. One is eternity. And, and Jesus' followers would say that eternity is heaven, a, a relationship with God where you see God face to face and he makes all things right. The Bible says that in heaven, God wipes every tear from our eye and that God is with us. There's no more sorrow, suffering. There's no more racism. There's no more tsunamis and floods, that God makes all things right in heaven. But then the other question is, how do I live life to the fullest now? And so this religious leader is trying to test Jesus. But in his test, he actually asks a question that I think every one of us probably wants to know. Whether you're a a Christian or not, don't we all want to know if there is an eternity? How do I secure it? Don't we all want to know how do I live free from needless regret here? How do I live life to my fullest here? And Jesus responds back with another question. He says to him, Well, what's written in the law? You're an expert in the law. And he's referring to the Old Testament of the Bible. How do you read it? This religious leader answered, Well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus looked at him and said, Well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You'll experience the fullness of life here, and you will seal your eternity. Now, he's, he's quoting the most famous law in the Old Testament of the Bible, which is actually a couple verses put together. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then another verse that says, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. And he says there's two ways to do it. The first is this. We secure our place in heaven by surrendering our lives to God now. That's how we can secure our eternity. It's not based on the things we do. I, I, I had a, a, a friend, new friend, just met her this morning, come into church this morning, uh, because one of you had been so kind and generous last week. You saw her. Um, she needed some finances. You, you gave her some resource. She came in wanting to pay back. But she came back wanting to pay back because she felt guilty. And she said, I've always lived by karma, which means I do good, I get good. I do bad, I get bad. That's, uh, again, That's the short version. So don't email me. Uh, Okay, I I get it. But that's the short version. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. So I got to pay back my debt. She said, but I don't have the money. Can I work it off? I said, well, you don't have to work it off because we live by something called grace. She said, well, grace and karma are the same thing. I said, well, no, they're actually not the same thing. Karma is you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. Grace is unmerited favor that you do not deserve. And this person gave you something as a grace, this unmerited favor that you did not deserve, not to get paid back, simply out of love. And that's the same thing with God. God gives us grace to enter into eternity. We can't actually earn our way there. Even if our good deeds outweighed our bad deeds, we still have to deal with our bad deeds, which, let's be honest, 
You've been awake for what? Like three hours. Most of us have done at least a couple, at least in our minds. If you don't believe me, just ask your spouse. They'll tell you right now. So he says, how do you secure your place in eternity? Well, you do it by surrendering your life to God because God has already made a way for you to come when Jesus gave his life on a cross. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we could experience the grace, the unmerited favor of God to have our eternity sealed, a place with him forever. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Basically, he's saying, love God, love God with everything, with all of who you are. Why? Because it's the best way to live. I'm telling you, if I knew a better way for you to live, I would stand up here and tell you a better way to live. But I don't, because God is all-knowing, all-loving, and he's out for your good all the time. So the best way to live is to love God with everything in you. That's the first part of that question. How do I inherit eternal life? Well, you love God with all of who you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength, trusting God more and more with every part of our lives. And then the second part of uh, that scripture points to the second question. How do I get the most out of life now? How do we do it? Well, Jesus says we do it by loving our neighbor as ourselves. We experience fullness of life by allowing God to use us to love others. See, when we practically love others, Jesus says we're actually loving God. So how do we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, we do it by loving others, and that's actually the best way to live. We just finished this whole series on generosity, being people who think oriented towards others, who give towards others, who serve others. And for the next couple months, what we're going to do is we're just going to explore the practical implications of people who are generous in every area of our lives, because that's the best way to live. But verse 29 says he wanted to justify himself, this religious leader, because he just got owned by Jesus. So he says, well, who is my neighbor? Define it. Tell me, who do I have to love to experience this kind of life? Here's why he wants it defined, because that word love is a packed word. It's not just a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Yeah, that's my wife. Ten years on Friday. Thank you very much. We nailed it. Love it. Dude, she's all red. She's all... Right now, it's more than a feeling because my wife is not feeling it towards me right now. She's feeling something else towards me. The word love that Jesus is using is this. It's acting on behalf of another person for their best interest. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's acting on behalf of someone for what is best for them. Do you see why he's trying to figure out, well, who is my neighbor? Because you're telling me whoever my neighbor is, I have to actually act on their best interest, even if it costs me something. A few weeks ago, Our little girl, Maddie, she's eight. She was sick. She started it. She was the ground zero plague carrier that went through our entire family. And on Monday, I was writing a message, and Maria Maria had a meeting. And so I came in early to the office, had a 7.30 meeting, uh, started working on the message. Then Maria had a meeting. So I drove home, sat with Maddie while Maria went to her meeting, and it interrupted my day. It interrupted my day. But in that moment, when I was being interrupted, when it cost me something, I was actually loving my daughter the way Jesus says 
to love. I was acting on her best interest, even if it cost me something. And that's what he's talking about. And the question, and this is our big question, is, well, who is my neighbor? Is it my wife and kids? Are they my neighbor? Because, listen, they interrupt us a lot. Let's just be honest. But if I could experience a life free from needless regret by loving them, I would do it. They're my wife, my husband, my kids. Is it my coworkers? Are they my neighbor? Because they interrupt us a lot, but they actually benefit us or they benefit our company. So if it benefits our company, I guess... I guess I would allow that to interrupt my day. Is it your next-door neighbor? The person down the street? Your other next-door neighbor? The person across the street? Who is our neighbor? Because whoever is our neighbor, by the definition of this word love, is worthy of interrupting our day. You see why this is such a packed question? Because the more people we neighbor, the more interruptions we will have. So this religious leader says, who is my neighbor? And this is when Jesus goes into a parable and he says to us two answers. I'm going to tell you who your neighbor is, but I'm going to tell you how to neighbor as well. Not just who to neighbor, but how to neighbor. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which there was an actual road that went down from Jerusalem, which was up on a hill to Jericho. It dropped 3,600 feet over the course of 20 miles. So this is an actual road. They're viewing it. They're picturing it in this huge crowd. Okay, I can picture a man walking from Jerusalem down this road to Jericho, and it was a notoriously dangerous road. In fact, it was called the Bloody Way. That's what this road was called. It was so laden with robbers that you just didn't walk this road alone. Wouldn't you know it, this man was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him naked and half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. He saw the man and he passed by on the other side so as not not to get too close. And the same way, a Levite, another religious leader, came to that place, saw the man, and passed by on the other side. Two religious leaders, two people who spent their lives loving God. If you want to know their job description, it was love God. That's their job description. That's what they got paid for. Love God. But this man is an interruption to them. He was not their neighbor in their minds. Because in the Jewish world, if you asked a Jewish person when Jesus lived, who is your neighbor? It would be someone who is a religious Jew like me, who thinks like me, who looks like me, who acts like me, who speaks like me. It was, it was very small. And everyone who wasn't a religious Jew, thinks like me, acts like me, talks like me, is a them. And so for the Jewish people, it was super polarizing. Us and them, in and out. And this guy was clearly out. Now, I wonder, have you ever been in a a, a society or a time that's become increasingly polarizing? I'll be your neighbor. I'll be your neighbor. Absolutely. As long as you think like me, as long as you vote like me, as long as you look like me, as long as you're in the same socioeconomic status as me, as long as you honor the flag like me, as long as you parent your kids like me, as long as you're the same race as me, got quiet. 
See, we're going to dig into some big stuff in this series about who to neighbor and how to neighbor. Because Jesus' invitation gets a lot bigger than the small Jewish circle that his listeners were talking about. And we live in a world that is so polarizing. You're either for us or you're against us. You're in or you're out. And listen, I just want to put you at ease. I'm not going to say at any point, you should be for this or you should be for that. Whether it's politically, um, whether it's various social movements happening, but I'll tell you right now, here's what I'm going to say. As Jesus followers, we need to come back to a point of discussion and stop polarizing. So I'm just going to, we're just going to have conversation about it. We're going to get back to conversation and move away from in and out because the good news of Jesus is that you can be a Republican or a Democrat and still be here. You can be a Bears fan, come on, or a Packers fan. Yes, I love it. Not a lot of cheers, but we could still be friends. You, okay, how about this? I'm going to really, uh, now I'm going to really meddle. You could be a Niners fan. Let's hear it. Or a Seahawks fan. Don't boo. No, no. Or a Seahawks fan and still be neighbors. Woo, that's the power of the gospel. <laughs> Do you see why this question is so big? We as a society are becoming so polarized. Yeah, I'll be your neighbor. Yeah, I'll sit next to you in church as long as you do everything like me. So these religious leaders, they see this guy. Maybe they blame him. He shouldn't have been walking the road alone. What's he doing out here by himself? It's his fault. This is his lot in life. I don't need to help him up. They were probably leaving Jerusalem because they'd been serving in the temple, which means they'd spent long days working long hours and they just wanted to get home. Maybe they thought to themselves, I just, I'm exhausted. I don't have time for this. My wife and kids are waiting for me. I can't stop and give myself to this person. Whatever the reason, they could not be interrupted. And they missed the opportunity to neighbor. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. Remember, Jesus' parables, these stories always have a twist. But a Samaritan is the turning point for this story. Because Samaritans and Jews, if you want to pick two polarized groups, there's your two groups. Jews saw Samaritans as less than, as mixed race, as um, not true followers of God. There was in and there was out, and Samaritans were out, and the Samaritan comes the hero of the story. The Jewish people's minds are blown. We're going to get into Samaritans in weeks three and four of this series and, and what that dynamic really looked like between a Jewish person and a Samaritan person. Because listen, to understand culture in that day, it's a game changer for us. Don't miss this series. I'm telling you, don't miss this series. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to the man and he saw him and he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine, which was an ancient way um, to, to heal someone. And then he put the man on his donkey. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. Then the next day he took two days wage, two denarii, two days wage, and he gave it to the innkeeper. And he said to the innkeeper, look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that I have. And then Jesus steps out of the parable 
And he says to the audience, including the religious leader, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? It's a good question. To which we would all say, the Samaritan. The man who had mercy is the word they use. The man who had mercy. Jesus says, go and do likewise. And I want to ask you, which of these three do you think has the best story to tell when they get home? The two religious leaders? Honey, how was your day? Same old, same old. Went and served in the temple. Did my religious duty. Walked home. Saw some guy on the side of the road. Came to you. That's a story. That's a story. Or the Samaritan. Honey, how was your day? You are not going to believe my day. I was walking down that road, that scary road, the bloody way, and I, I saw this guy. He was, he was like, he was bloody and beaten, and he was naked, and, and, and he looked like he was dead. Honestly, I thought he was dead. I didn't even know for sure if he was alive. So, so I, I thought for a second, I got to get out of here. What if these robbers are still around? This could be dangerous for me. But then I realized, wait a minute, I, I can't leave this guy here. I, I, I had this, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I, I had compassion, and so I went to the guy, and I, I felt for his pulse, and he had a pulse. And so I, I, I cleaned him up, and I wrapped him up, and I put him on our donkey. we got to wash the donkey now. Um, <laughs> but listen, it already said wash me on his backside, so we're okay. We gotta, but we got to wash the donkey. <laughs> and I, t- I took him to an inn, and I took care of him. And by the way, honey, I gave like two days' worth of, of my pay. I gave it to the innkeeper to care for him. I hope that's okay. Um, but hey, we've got an emergency fund because we've been through Financial Peace University, so we're going to be okay, is what he said to him. Who has the better story? The Samaritan has the better story. Now listen, if you string enough of those stories together, who has the better life? The Samaritan has the better life. The religious leader asked, how can I experience the best life now? Jesus says, by loving your neighbor. Because we need, we're going to learn in this series that how to neighbor means recognizing that our lives are actually made up of a collection of moments, not a collection of minutes. We're all going to have the same amount of minutes to spend in a day. But those of us who experience the fullest life are the ones who recognize that our lives are made up of moments, holy moments, divine moments, not simply minutes. This man broke free from his normal routine to serve and love. And in that, he experienced full life. And what I want to do in this series is I want to create space for us as a church community to break free from our normal routine. I'm going to give us active ways, actual ways, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the weeks to break free from our normal routines so that we can gather moments, holy moments of life. In this series, we're going to explore how to neighbor globally. What does it look like that we are a a relatively small church and part of a global movement? We're going to explore how to neighbor with people living in poverty. We're going to explore how to neighbor across racial lines. I am so excited for that conversation. 
We're going to have a panel of friends from various races and ethnicities at the end of this series, having a conversation about experience. Not everyone's experience, their experience, so that we can move from polarizing to engaging. So excited. We're going to have a, a few law enforcement officers in that discussion. Not to speak for all law enforcement officers, but to share their experience. And it's going to be people from our community who we sit with every single, well, let me say, two Sundays a month, if statistics hold true, who we sit with two Sundays a month. <laughs> Let's just be honest. But not for this month. We're going to be here every week because it's going to be so good. I can't lie in church. We're going to learn how to neighbor with people that we do not agree with politically, socially, um, based on our sports teams, like the big three. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, how can, I, how can I help us break free from routine to engage with God? And, and the idea came to me, and some of you know this story because we tried this about four years ago. You know this story. It came to me when I thought about my favorite mission, missions trip ever. And if you're a person who thinks a mission trip just means everything that could go wrong will go wrong, this story will just reinforce that, and I apologize. But I'm telling you, this was like the extreme version of any mission trip I've been on. I've been around the world. This is the one extreme. But it happened in Costa Rica. Um, I was leading college students. I, uh, we were just in, we were engaged. So I must have been 24, 23, 24. We got a call from a missions organization that said, would you bring college students to Costa Rica? We've never actually opened up Costa Rica, but we're going to try an experiment in Costa Rica. Would you bring some lambs to the slaughter, is what they said to us. Would you bring some lambs? And I said, sure, their parents will sign a waiver. No problem. So we went to Costa Rica, and uh, we hiked up into this, this little tiny village where cars couldn't get there, and that was our base camp. Cars couldn't get to the base camp. Uh, and then we would hike, do day hikes to do medical clinics into these small little places and drop off beans and rice, these small little tiny villages up in the rainforest where cars couldn't get. The only way they got food in was with helicopters doing drops. That was the only way they got food in. And there were no showers, uh, so we would shower in the, these, this river. We'd have to hike down to a river. Uh, we'd shower in it, and it was so fun. It had like this cool, like moving little rapid. So I said, guys, let's go up, guys and gals, everybody, let's, let's go up and let's float down the river. So we did this three times. And then our, our host said, you probably don't want to do that anymore. There are crocodiles all through this river. It's <laughs> so like, well, thank you for that information. And then we'd hike back up to our base camp and we'd be sweaty and dirty by the time we got there. Just like, well, that was a waste. Um, that was the same trip that on the, on the hike down from there, my wife, at that point my fiance, she was wearing this big travel backpack with a thing that clipped across here, and this bull was walking the other way, and it hooked her underneath the backpack, and it lifted her up, and I thought my wife was being gored and dying, and so I, I ran, and I did. I, I actually took the bull by the horns. I'm not joking. I actually did it, and I jumped on the bull's head, and I was like, no, no, like I would say to a dog, but it was a bull, and I got her out. Yes. 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 Listen. Listen. Life is made up of a collection of moments. Who had a good story to tell when they got home? But we get up to this little tiny village where we're going to spend a week. And I say, do we have food? And they, the, the leader says, I don't know if they even know we're coming. So I don't know if we have food, but we've got this sweet hand pump water filter, which broke after one day. 
So the only way to get clean water was to go to clean as relative, to go down to the river, scoop water out, bring it up, boil it, which kills most of the bacteria, but doesn't kill the dirt, right? So then you're just drinking dirty water. And what we had was a bag of beans and a bag of rice. And that was our meal for the week. Three times a day, beans and rice, beans and rice. And I said, beans and rice, tell me more. And they said, well, the majority of the people who live in this area, this is their staple, beans and rice. They live on very little money, which the majority of our world, which we're going to refer to as the majority world, because the majority of our world is the majority world, lives on less than $2 a day. And that means that the ability to eat is very limited to a small cross-section. Now, we live in a country where we can eat anything we want, and praise God, I love beans and rice. I love Mexican food and all things, super burritos, delicious, love it. But I could choose pizza or um, Chinese food or sushi or anything I want, old Chicago. But most of our friends around the world, very limited options, beans and rice, beans and rice. And I thought to myself, well, what if, what if for a week, we chose to let go of our ability to eat whatever we want. And we chose to eat meals based on beans and rice for a week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, to get us out of our routine, to open up the door for God to speak to us about what's going on in the world. For God, as Jesus says, to give us eyes to actually see and perceive what's happening could that be a moment that changes our lives? It changed my life when I did it. So what we did is we created um, these devotion guides called our Beans and Rice Experiment, because it's an experiment. Beans and Rice Experiment. And the week we do our Beans and Rice journey, it's got a three-time-a-day uh, three devotion in here. You don't have one of these yet, so you don't need to look in your programs. <laughs> it's got a devotional for three times a day for every meal, just to explore. And then because we're in New Life and, and uh, we like to, to partner with you we actually, in the back of it, have a beans and rice menu. Just menu ideas for beans and rice-based food. Breakfast ideas, lunch and dinner ideas. On the back, we got some kid-friendly ideas. We just got a ton of ideas for you. And I created these. We created 400 of them so that you could take this home today and you could begin to look and think, oh, what would it look like with our kids who are elementary school-age kids to engage with this all week? What kind of conversations could we start having? What would it look like as housemates to let go of our right to eat whatever we want, to interrupt our schedule, and to engage. What could God do? It's a fast. It's a fast. To seek God. To get outside of our routine. And I made these so you could take it home. And so as you're doing your menu planning, you could spend the next couple of weeks figuring out what to do with this. But I'm going I'm to invite our church to take this How to Neighbor experiment with me. A couple goals for this. Um, I want us to be able to slow down. Slow down. We race through meals all the time. Food becomes this thing that we just have all the time at, at Ready Access. I want us to slow down, to have real conversations with our spouse, with our housemates, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our kids about the gifts that we have in this country to explore food however we want. Let's not take it for granted. I want us to slow down and engage with God all week through this devotional. I want us to, I want us to partner. So one of the things that I want to do in this series is at, at the end of this beans and rice challenge, um, I'm going to invite us 
to bring a special offering to partner with all of our global outreach initiatives. Because God's doing great stuff, and I'm going to tell you more about that in the next few weeks, but, but I want to ask, have us as a church bring a special offering, and I want to try to fund all of our global outreach partners in one Sunday at the end of this month. And it's going to go to things like empowering the next generation of students through college ministry, things like sponsoring orphans. When you bring your offering, you're going to be sponsoring orphans. It's going to go to things like building houses for people who don't have a safe and sustainable place to live. It's going to go to things like supporting pastors in India. It's going to go to things like housing the homeless right here in our backyard through the Redwood Gospel Mission. And I want us to engage and then ask some big questions of God. What does it look like to neighbor? And then again, this is our opportunity to practice that generosity thing that we learned about in the last series. And I'm so excited about it. I think it's going to be awesome. Because when, when Jesus says who our neighbor is, it's not just the people who believe what I believe, who think like I think, who vote like I vote, who look like I look, who speak like I speak. When Jesus defines neighbor, he blows it open and says, by loving God and loving our neighbor, we experience the life we were designed for. It's going to be so good. And I want to invite you on this card because this is going to be a big initiative for us. On this Start Here card, I'm going to invite you to turn it over. And for the next two Sundays, we're going to be talking about this. On the third Monday, we'll launch it. So it's going to be October 10th through 15th. That's when we're going to do this beans and rice experiment. But I want to know who I'm partnering with because along with our devotional, I'm going to be sending you an email every day with one of our global outreach partners and some of their information and and what God's doing through their ministry and how you can pray for them and, and pray for what God's doing in that part of the world. I want to know who my beans and rice experiment people are because it's just an experiment to try something out. But if that's you, I just want you to mark down. I'm going to take the How to Neighbor Challenge. I changed the name of it on Thursday. Our poor teams. The Beans and Rice How to Neighbor Experiment. Very catchy. Very catchy. I know. October 10th through 15th. If you're going to take it, if you think you're going to take it, if you're debating taking it, mark it down so I can get resources to you, so I can partner with you over these next few weeks. And then I'm going to invite you. Grab one of these on your way out. Don't start it yet. No cheating. No peeking. Grab one of these on your way out. And then get to the back where it has the menus. Start planning a menu with your housemates, with your spouse, with your family. And allow God to start working in this journey. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. And if you're here, and this is all brand new, I'm going to tell you, you can experience some real fullness in life by loving other people. And I love Sonoma County. We're some of the most loving people I've ever met. I love Sonoma County. You can experience some real fullness in life, in this life, by loving other people. But you cannot experience eternity without loving God, without entering into a relationship with God. And Jesus made the way for you to do that when he gave his life on the cross so that you could be adopted into God's family, so that you could have your eternity sealed, you could have your sins forgiven. And if that's you, I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to give you a chance to do that. So would you join me? Let's pray together. Lord, I, I just have a sense that our community in this room is primed for this journey. That you've been stirring in our hearts individually. You've been stirring in life groups. You've been stirring maybe in ministry teams and families. 
that we're ready to take a journey together, a journey of faith, a journey of trust, a journey learning how to neighbor. So God, would you guide us on this journey? As we take steps of faith, as we take steps of generosity, as we, as we engage in this how to neighbor experiment, would you meet us as we love you? And would you empower us to love our neighbors, even as we love ourselves, our kids, our friends? God, we're excited to take this journey with you. And if you're here and you're ready to start a relationship with God, to experience his forgiveness and that grace, that unmerited favor, you can repeat this simple prayer. Just say to God, say, Lord God, I believe you love me and that Jesus gave his life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me how to walk in your family every day from this day forward, even into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.